There we go. There we go. <laughs> Boy, I don't know sometimes. Uh, it's I providing you a mercy to mute me, I guess. Um, where was I? Oh, 29 Dodge. Beautiful car. My dad's baby. Absolutely loves it. Um, so they rode in the parade, and just, just a good time for my dad to drive the car in the parade, but there was some more meaning behind it. That 29 Dodge used to be my grandpa's, my mom's dad's uh, car. And it was bought back in the 80s by a guy from Coon Rapids, fixed it up, refurbished it all. And then another owner had it, and then he wanted to sell it. And so my dad said, yeah, that's, I want that car. So my dad ended up buying it. They rode that in the Susquehannock. Fifty years previous to that, in the Centennial for Scranton, my dad was kind of in charge of lining people up for the parade. And Grandpa, at the time, my grandpa, my mom's dad, was driving the 29 Dodge in the Centennial Parade. And so my mom was sitting in the car, and my dad comes up and says, What's your number? My mom thought he was asking for digits, right? For a date. They'd never met before. But my dad was actually asking, what number are you in the line of the parade? So that's how they met. (laughs) So uh, anyway, there they are. They met while my mom was in that car, and now 50 years later in the Susquehannock, they are driving that same car in the parade. It was really neat. It was a fun time for our family, and uh, just kind of a neat little memory for all of us to remember and kind of celebrate on a very hot day. This is what we do here. We remember. We remember. It was good for us to recognize the meaning of my mom and dad's story. And you could think by expanding this sort of illustration that uh, in the 50 or the 48 years of marriage, actually, um, that they had, yeah, I was just thinking, I had to make sure that I was a legitimate child there. <laughs> no, I am, I am. It's kosher, it's kosher. Uh, <laughs> I'm full of good jokes today, aren't I? Just, yeah. Uh, in those 48 years of marriage, it's, it's kind of neat to think about this idea. All the little snippets and snavets and the little arguments that they might have had. I heard some of them growing up. But, uh, hey, if we could remember the day we met, maybe we could get over some of those. I got a wonderful story with Christina. We could use that story. Let's remember the day we met. I want to offer you a chance right now to remember the day that you met Jesus. The scripture tells us that we need to recognize the body and blood of Jesus, not forget. The scripture, John, the apostle John says he came to those who were his own and they didn't even recognize him. How? How do we miss? Well, you didn't miss and that's the good news. But let's not only not miss, let's remember and recognize as we have this opportunity right now. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that, uh, that it would always be before us and that in our journey of faith, the ups and downs, that in the downs, 
in the trials and in the valleys, we can remember the day we met you. We were moved that day by what you have done for us on the cross. We were moved enough to ask you into our life, to change our life, to change our habits, to live more in accord with how you would want us to live, God. I pray that we could just right now remember the day that we met you. Thank you, of course, Father, for being our Father, for giving up your Son to make us your sons and daughters. In your name we pray, amen. I know I'm not saying anything to you right now when I say that it seems like life is just getting faster and faster. Anybody disagree? How could you, right? Faster and faster, more and more in a hurry. I can remember some time ago when Denny's, the restaurant, uh, experienced an explosion in their profits because they guaranteed lunch on your table in 10 minutes after you ordered They'd even bring out a little timer to set on the table for you so you would know. Uh, Hey, 10 minutes in, out, eat fast, right? Uh, Domino's pizza kind of took up on that, and they kind of just had as their motto, we don't sell pizza, we sell delivery. We'll get her to you, right? But I happen to think the pizza's pretty good too, but... So they took up on that. And I even read of a hospital in Detroit called Doctor's Hospital that took up on this. And they promised care in 20 minutes or your care would be free. Now that was a good one, huh? That sounds like a good one to me. I'd go there. Well, profits went up a little. But mortality went down, (laughs) went way up too. Mortality went up 120% at this hospital. And so kind of the subsequent result of all of that was bankruptcy for the hospital in 2008 and then bankruptcy for the hospital in 2015 a second time. (laughs) Too fast. Too fast. People are dying and they were dying fast. It seems like we'll pay for anything to help us go faster, right? Right? Someone said the greatest birthday gift you could give somebody would be a phoneless cord. (laughs) Think about that for a second, huh? (laughs) That'd help a lot of people out. Here you go, honey, a phoneless cord. In 1967, there was a testimony that was given in the United States Senate about the labor savings that all of this new technology was going to save us. And that uh, workers would work for 30 hours a week um, and that they would only work for 30 weeks a year because of all of the wonderful new technology that was coming down the pike. And that's what we could look forward to. 30 hours a week? 30 weeks a year? Did we make it? That was 1967. About that same time, a new restaurant appeared on the, on the scene. It became very popular sold food not on quality or pricing, but on the fact that the food could be delivered quickly. I won't say the name because you're probably going to go there for lunch after church. It was fast food, 1967. Not necessarily good food, although it was a lot better back then than it is today. Not necessarily good food, but fast food. 
But you still had to get out of your car, go in the restaurant, and eat with your family. So we had a drive-through. Next invention, right? That way, everybody could eat in their vans like God intended, right? (laughs) We get it right. It just takes us a little while, but we get it right. We suffer from hurry sickness, and it kills us physically. It kills us spiritually. We are just often in this race, this rat race, not enough time, not enough hours in the day. Here's what I do. I, on a two-lane road, I'm coming up to a stoplight, and I got a car in front of me. I take a look at each one of those cars, and I determine and deduce which one of the cars is going to get off the line quicker, and I pull up behind them. That's me. Is that you? Just raise your hand. You're sick people. All right, let's go to Luke chapter 12. I'm going to read this parable of Jesus, and it's going to help us kind of deal with this sickness that we have in this exhausted society that we live in. Someone in the crowd said to him, this is verse 13, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, man, who appointed me as judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said to them, watch out. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yield an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger barns. And there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you've plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whomever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. I want to bring a little piece out of that parable for us to to look at. And it's what this guy says in his mind to himself, because I think you and I have said similar. I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. It's a lie, right? On the other side of a whole bunch of building and a whole bunch more planting and a whole bunch of this and a whole bunch of additional that, then I can take it easy. The surplus grain came in. Oh, I need to build more. I need to make it bigger. I need to this. I need to that. And once I do that, then I'll be able to take it easy. Then I can relax, eat, drink, and just be merry. Well, I'm going to do a little parable on the parable, all right? A man, this man in this parable, very much at home in our society, a workaholic, venture capitalist willing to do whatever it takes. And it took everything. He was consumed by his work probably 12 hours a day. Even when he wasn't working, work was on his mind, always drifting towards work in his thoughts. So it wasn't just his occupation, it was his preoccupation. 
His wife would try to get him to slow down, to remember that he had a family. He was vaguely aware of uh, that life was going fast because of what she would say to him. He would tell himself those same things. In six months, things will settle down. One morning, he was awakened by a small pain in his chest. He went to the doctor. He had had a small heart attack. The doctor recommended a lifestyle change, and he did for a while. The symptoms went away, and so did the changes. He recognized his life was out of balance. He thinks of God sometimes. There's a church down the street, but Sundays are my only day to crash and sleep in and and rest. Maybe there'll be time for that when things settle down. One day the CEO comes and says, things have been, never been better as far as potential for our company. If we can catch this wave right now, we'll be set for life as a company. Uh, it'll require some major changes really fast. And our employees are going to be required to put in additional hours temporarily to take advantage of this wave and this opportunity. So our man devotes all of his time to the opportunity He tells his wife, once this happens, once we get through it, the family will be set for life. I'll get a raise, financially secure. And she had heard all of those things before. That song had been sung. And so she didn't get her hopes up. Heard it before. And she went to bed and she wakes up at 3 a.m. And he still isn't in bed. And so she goes downstairs and sees him still in front of the computer his head resting on the table, and she says to herself, this is ridiculous. This is a joke. He's like a child. Needs some sleep, so she goes to wake him up and feels that he is cold to the touch. She finds out later that he had had a massive heart attack, and he had actually been dead for hours. And since he, our man, was a prominent man in the whole community, the whole community found out. His funeral was full. It's too bad that he was gone. He would have loved to have heard all of the great things that were said about him. And all of the people filed past his casket, and they all made those same comments that you hear at a funeral. Oh, he looks so peaceful. He looks at peace. He was a great entrepreneur. A great innovator, devoted his life to his work, a great leader. And on his gravestone, they wrote inspiring words, leader, entrepreneur, visionary, success. He had devoted his life to that last word. And after the memorial service, after everyone had gone home, everyone had left, the angel of the Lord comes down at night into the cemetery, sticks out his finger and writes one last word on that gravestone. Fool. Seems like a harsh word, doesn't it? I mean, even Jesus said, anybody who calls their brother a fool is in danger of the fires of hell. How can Jesus even say the word? I think that Jesus is making an accurate diagnosis. Because here's a man who put together all of the planning, strategized his business, 
all of the brilliance, all of the cash flow projections that he had ran, what is the one thing that he forgot about? His death. The most obvious fact. All of the scenarios are covered, insured to the gills, all of the contingencies planned for, all of the things that might happen covered, but the one thing he knows is going to happen hasn't even thought about it. Fool. Foolish. Now you, your day is coming. Are you being wise? Are you considering the day? Are you considering your legacy that you will leave behind? Have you considered the day? If you have, and if you do, all of today which you still have, and even all of the uncertainties which might come tomorrow might be better grasped, and you might take them all in better stride. So busy making a living that we can't even make a life. This is the rich fool syndrome. And I gotta think that you and I have been caught or have caught it. The rich fool syndrome is characterized by two illusions that we seem to buy. Number one, things will settle down. Have you told yourself that one? When will things settle down? When you die. (laughs) Best advice. We got to eliminate hurry from our life. Hurry is the great enemy of our spiritual life in our day. Christina and I were listening to a sermon yesterday. It talked about hurry. It talked about a pastor who was always in a hurry and his wife tried to get him to slow down. And he finally began over his days to realize that. And this is what he said in the sermon. Love has a speed and it is way slower than mine. What are you missing out on because we're in such a hurry? You cannot love, you cannot listen to a child when you're in a hurry. You can do nothing like Jesus did when you're in a hurry. Now, Jesus was often busy, there's no doubt about that, but he was never hurried. Hurry will wither your soul. Illusion number two, someday more will be enough. And so we go and we kill ourselves for the more. We are bombarded every day with this message that more will be enough and then we will be contented. We have stuff that we don't even know that we have. We got a 141 garage sale coming up. We are just downloading. We're going to sell the tar out of our stuff. So, I don't know. It used to be, you know, you have a VCR. Hey, yay, I can remember the day when my dad finally broke down and we bought a VCR. Way after all my other friends, you know, that kind of thing. Got a VCR. Did we know every gadget, know how to do every gadget on that? No, don't have time. Just put the movie in and watch the movie, right? I don't have time to figure out how everything else works out. And so, there you have it. When the coroners come into your house... All they got to do is look 
at the time that's flashing on your VCR, and there you got it. You died straight up noon, right? Because you didn't set the clock. Who wants to set the VCR? Way too busy for that. More will never be enough. Our world insanely believes that it will. And the Bible writers have different advice, especially the Apostle Paul sitting in a jail cell. He says this, I've learned the secret of contentment. I've learned it. The Bible says that the contentment is a secret that needs to be learned. And God really just kind of asks us, how far down the road do you need to go before you know that it's not going to take you where you want to go, where you want to get to? When I was in Bible college, me and a couple of buddies, we would play Monopoly. We just got into a habit of playing that all the time. And so, you know, Monopoly takes a long time to play. Well, we adjusted the rules a little bit so that we could get a game done in about 30 minutes, right? Zip through it, you know? So, um, we, so this is what we did. And we, just about every night, we'd set them up. We could set them up, all, four of us, same time, every night. Four of us, we set it up, get it going, done in a half hour. It was great because you could play Monopoly every day, have a blast at it, and you were just searching for you to be the one guy out of the four to rack up the motels and get it done. And so through the whole process of gaining and building bigger and building bigger and, we- and wearing down your opponent, we got that down to 30 minutes like, it was like a drug. But then it was all over just like that. And everything went right back into the box. And so it is with you and I, building bigger, adding on, so on and so forth, until that day that we have not considered as well as we should, and it all goes back into the box. Then what? I came across this. It's called A Gift from a Hairdryer. Reflections of the mother of a seven-year-old. This is what it says. Comb and dry, comb and dry. Soon I won't be able to do this anymore, you say to yourself. What will she be like at 14? Where Where will her hair be blowing then? And 16 and 18, do you suppose boys will like to watch her hair blow as I do now? And some of them will want to watch her... One of them will marry her, and her hair will be spread out under the veil, and then her hair will be spread out on his pillow. And, oh, you hate him a little bit, and you wonder where he is at this moment, and you wonder whether he will be good to her. And they will grow old together. And the gold-brown hair will be gray, and you will be gone And then she will be gone. And this very hair that now your fingers smooth and all the tears of the world swim for a second in your eyes. As you snatch the plug of the hairdryer from the socket suddenly and you gather her into your arms, burying your face in that warm hair as if you could seal the moment against all time. But of course you can't because moments come and years fly by And you cannot stop them. And one day, the final moment of your life will come. And you can't control that one either. Don't you wish you could? 
Jesus says to us through this parable, no matter how well you play the game of life, it's not going to prepare you for the moment. If you're not prepared for that day, you're just not a wise person. We take care of all of the plans, but yet we just don't prepare for the day that we know is coming. We could do better at this. I heard of a man who put a bunch of marbles into a jar. And he assumed that he was going to live to 85 years old. So he counted up how many weeks he had left to live to 85. And so he put a marble in for each of the Sundays of each of those weeks. And every Sunday, he would take a marble out so that he had a visual of how long of life he had. In that way, he prepared for that day. And in that way, as the pile of marbles dwindled down, he had his motivation to live out each and every day with that day in light. And then things that maybe weren't important become awful important. And then things that had become awful important slowly begin to lose their luster and all of the trophies of this life we can put down and put away. There is no doubt that you have caught a little bit of the foolish rich man's syndrome. Let's take the antidote. Let's slow ourselves. Let's keep calm. And let's do something. Something to remind us that there is a day coming. And maybe in that way, we don't have to fear it, but we can celebrate it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we think of your scripture, where, O oh death, is your sting. It is truly remarkable because of what we believe in you, God, that the sting of death can be removed and in fact, we can celebrate it. Lord, I pray that while we still have these days of life, that we can play the game according to your rules and not adjust those rules to make it faster. What sense would it make, God, to go against the principles that you have laid down in your wisdom and override them by what we so often call just common sense? God, we're in an exhausted society and we're probably part of it as well. Re-energize us and refresh us with being in the moment and being in you. In your name we pray, amen.